Hello, friends. Michael Youssef here. Thank you so much for connecting with Leading the Way and listening to this message. The entire team here at Leading the Way is committed to passionately proclaiming the uncompromising truth of God's Word. And it cannot be done without your prayers and your support and your partnership. Learn how God has uniquely positioned leading the way to reach a world that is in desperate need of the gospel when you visit ltw.org. That is ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. Let's go to Bethlehem. Can we say that together? Let's Dr. Luke, being a scientist and a trained doctor, a physician, and his account of the gospel is unique because he's very careful in collecting of his data. You know that he has interviewed some, that he had debriefed others, and then he examined the evidence and looked at the data. And the way he describes the first Christmas night is amazing. It's very graphic because he he gives us the picture of an eerily quiet night, but that quietness was pierced by the countless number of angels who were singing to these shepherds to what is still today known as Shepherd's Hill. Lowly shepherds heard the singing and the announcement, and yet the rest of the population of that little town of Bethlehem missed it. The rest of the population missed the greatest announcement of the greatest news in all of history. I think all of us who had children, parents, or grandparents, (laughs) we can remember very well, very well, the birth of the first. We remember them all, but we always remember the first. That's never forgotten. (laughs) Now, in our case, I'm sure it's most the case with most of you. There were no angels singing, but there was a lot of screaming in the car as we're heading for the hospital. I want you to think with me for all of us who had children. Now, think about the sterile environment that you see in the hospital today. Just think about this. Think about the families and friends are gathering, and just think of the clean sheets and the beds and the comfortable room temperatures, and contrast that with this young 14, probably 15 at the most, virgin without friends or families. You can be sure that there were no clean sheets when the baby Jesus was born. All they could get is a bed of straw in a shed. Down the hill, a few hundred yards from Bethlehem, a group of common shepherds were terrified at the sight of the angels because it's not a common sight. They've not seen it before, have not heard an angel talk before. They were absolutely terrified when they were told that the very one for whom all of Israel has waited for thousands of years has arrived. The first thing they said to one another Let us go to Bethlehem. Say it again with me. Let's And see what the angel told us. Let's see what all this is about. Verse 15 of Luke chapter 2. Let's go. And there they go, and they found the baby there. And so they returned back to their little hill where they were grazing the sheep, praising God for what they just saw with their own eyes. 
Seven miles away from Bethlehem, there is a big city, Jerusalem. Now, big in comparison to Bethlehem. It's not a big city as you can imagine a big city. Jerusalem. Bethlehem, in comparison, is not even a hamlet. In comparison, is a tiny little village. And yet Bethlehem, long remembered in history. The first time in the Bible you hear about Bethlehem, the very first time, is in the book of Genesis chapter 25, where you remember the old story from Sunday school where Jacob's beloved dear wife, he had to work for her for 14 years, dies. And you hear about this in Genesis 25, broken-hearted Jacob buries Rachel there in Bethlehem. That's the first time you hear about it in the Bible. But then also Bethlehem, Ruth the Moabite, falls in love with Boaz, the lord of the harvest. It was in that little town of Bethlehem where King David, before he was king as a teenage boy, he was shepherding the sheep of his dad. It was in that little town of Bethlehem, there's a nondescript little village in all of Israel, that the prophet Micah, hundreds of years before Christ was born, in chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet Micah said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, because there was another Bethlehem. He wanted to make sure that we know exactly which is the right one. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins from old, from ancient times. In other words, he coexisted with the Father before all world was created. He's going to show up and be born of a virgin. But there's something else about this village of Bethlehem I don't want you to miss. This little village was a troubled village. It was a troubled village back then. It is a troubled village now to this day. In fact, it's extremely difficult for Christians. But hear me right, please. Your life may be troubled like Bethlehem. You may be facing challenges that insurmountable, and you don't know how to deal with it. You may be seeing problems in your life that doesn't appear to be a solution for them. Maybe you feel in yourself as inadequate of coping with the challenges of life or what's going on in life. Maybe you like Bethlehem. I have good news for you today. Christ can be born in you today. Christ can come into your life, and whatever trouble situation you're in, He can be glorified in you, but only when you, like the shepherds, say, let's go to Bethlehem. Now, I want to tell you today that little Bethlehem, like your life, has potential. Like my life, it has potential. It has providence, and it has a privilege. God chose to be born in that little troubled village. Now, you would expect the Son of God to be born in Jerusalem. I mean, at least it's a well-known city, but He was sending us a message. He was sending all of us a message. His grace comes to the humble and the contrite heart. He graces the humble with His presence. See, God is not impressed with what impresses us. 
He's not impressed with what impresses Hollywood. No, 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 no. Listen to me. You might be down on yourself, and I know all about this, <laughs> or you might feel that you are less than others, or you're not measuring up, whatever you might be. You might feel that you have failed miserably, and you are so discouraged right now. But God wants to come on the inside of you to change all of that. Bethlehem is also a reminder for all of us that God brings strength to the weak, that God gives value to the valueless. Why? Because we all, like Bethlehem, have potential. God sees us with a great potential. Perhaps like Bethlehem, you feel insignificant. Perhaps like Bethlehem, you feel you don't measure up. Like Bethlehem, uh, you feel that you really don't matter. Perhaps like Bethlehem, you feel that you've been passed by. Like Bethlehem, you may feel that you are down on yourself. Oh, but like Bethlehem, God can use you mightily. I know what I'm talking about. That's my testimony. Just as Bethlehem was a place of potential, you too is the place of potential. Everyone at the sound of my voice, you're the place of potential. You see, when God looks at you, He doesn't look at you the way you look at yourself. He doesn't look at you the way others look at you. God looks at you of what you can become. In my late teen years, I felt I was worth nothing. I could contribute nothing. I could not measure up with the incredible success of my older siblings. I was that big in everybody's eyes and in my own. But God saw potential. <laughs> and if you told me 50 years ago that I'll be speaking live to millions of people around the world right now, I wouldn't have believed it. I was always down on myself. But God sees you as what you can be, not what you are and where you are. You know, when Peter denied his beloved friend Jesus, his Lord and Master, he denied him three times. He felt dejected, and he was in sorrow. How can he deny Jesus after he's been warned? And yet, Jesus saw the potential of what Peter became, the great apostle, the undisputed leader of the early church. Hear me right. The Lord looks at you individually. He sees you individually. And He sees and He knows what you can become if you open your heart to Him, if you open your life to Him. He can see what you can offer Him, and He sees what you can accomplish. The prophet Micah, and you, Bethlehem, the least among all the cities of Jude, the least. Jesus said, no, 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 Bethlehem is a place of potential. Listen to me. God did not come to Caesar's palace. He did not come to Herod's court, but He came to that insignificant little town. Why? Today, we can see, and you can see yourself, have potential just like Bethlehem. But secondly, Bethlehem was also a place of providence, a place of providence. Long centuries before Christ's birth, God foretold through His prophets, Bethlehem would be the birthplace of His anointed Messiah. 
Matthew chapter 2, verse 5, when King Herod asked the high priest, you remember the Magi's who were coming in, and they said, we saw a star, and we didn't know what to do. And, and he thought, well, they assumed if this is a king, he's got to be born in the king's palace. So they go to the king, they go to Herod. And Herod was confused. He said, well, wait a minute, let me find out from the religious leaders. Let me find out what the Bible said about where the Messiah will be born. And the high priest, without batting an eye, he said, Bethlehem of Judea. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Yeah. But Mary and Joseph, though they were Southerners, they were living in Yankee land. You see, they were from the north, from Nazareth, 70 miles away from Bethlehem. But their origin is in the south. Its origin is in Bethlehem because Mary is a descendant of David, King David of Judah. Seventy miles. That's five days' journey. But Bethlehem did not only become the place of potential, it became the place of providence. God made it happen. God made it happen. How come? Ah, how in the world God would move things around so that the prophecy is fulfilled and that Mary does not deliver her baby, her virgin-born baby in Nazareth. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says, In those days <laughs> a decree, some people say, oh, happenstance, or just the circumstances. No, 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 no. There is no such thing with God. In those days there was a decree went out of Caesar Augustus that the whole world, <laughs> Rome dominated the world, that the whole world has to register. This is the census. And the census taken is not like somebody come knocking on your door. No, no, no. You have to go to the place of your origin. So if you're from Ohio or, or Iowa, wherever you're from, you have to go back there for the census. But there's a whole lot more about this global census. There's a whole lot more. God was the one who was behind this census. He's behind that decree. God is the one who had Caesar issue that decree at the right time. Divine providence moved Caesar to issue that global decree. Caesar was an instrument in the hand of God. Caesar was moved by the hand of God. And you have people today who said, well, you know, all the roads lead to God, everything, all the religion. No, 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 you don't understand. God promised Jesus in Genesis 3.15, thousands of years before He was born in Bethlehem. And God moved events and circumstances. Why would the whole world be turned upside down? It has to be fulfilled. God's promise has to be fulfilled. God's Word has to be fulfilled. And just right on time, God used this Roman decree to move Mary and Joseph from Nazareth 70 miles all the way to Bethlehem, the home of origin of the tribe of Judah. He moved them from where their family and friends were to a place where they originally came from. Now, my beloved friend, please listen to me. If you get discouraged and you think that the world is out of control, take heart. It is not out of His control. Never is, never will be. If you think that things in your life are out of control, they're not out of God's control. 
Daniel in chapter 4, verse 17 said, The most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And so, my friend, God is working His purposes out, even in the midst of this global turmoil that we see around us. From Hong Kong to Paris and all the stuff that was going on. But you see, God is putting the whole world in motion to prepare it for the second coming of Jesus. God is working behind the scenes to bring all things to an end. God is working to get the world ready for the Antichrist so that when Christ returns, He can smite Him with His power. Bethlehem is a place of providence. So is your life. Even though a lot of people didn't understand it at the time, here we are 2,000 years later, we fully comprehend it. Put yourself in their place at the time. Because you see, in hindsight, we look back 2,000 years, we can see all this. But put yourself in their place. They were oppressed people. They were oppressed by foreign power, Rome. They were taxed out of the wazoo. (laughs) And they were forced to give that money that they did not have. Why? Why all of this particularly was happening at the time when Caesar issued that decree. (laughs) And they must have wondered. And I'm sure you've wondered. I have wondered in the past. Where is God in all of this? Oh, God was there. God was there. At the same time, God was working to get them to Bethlehem because the hope of the world is going to be born where? In Bethlehem. I'm sure when you're facing a problem or a challenge in your life and you wonder, where is God in all of this? Where is God in my circumstances? Where is God in my job? Where is God in my marriage? Where is God? God is there. And He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him. Oh, you can't see that now. You can't see it now. You can't understand it now. It may be confusing for you now. You may feel inconvenienced now, just like Mary and Joseph probably felt. But wait! You talk about inconvenience inconvenience. Seventy miles on foot or donkey. I remember back in 1978, we were expecting our third child. We were living in California. My wife was eight months pregnant, and the boss called and said, I need you in Australia for three months. Our biggest fear is that he was going to be born on international waters. <laughs> we know what nationality he'll be. <laughs> but this was not a jumbo jet. <laughs> this is a donkey. And they were traveling the most treacherous, the most rugged terrain in her trimester of pregnancy. Oh, my beloved friend, God was working His providence out so that the Messiah be born in Bethlehem of Judea, so that God's promise may be fulfilled. Listen to me. God may be doing things in your life that you do not understand, but what He is doing is He's trying to get you to Bethlehem. Why? Ah, because there you're going to find your potential. In your Bethlehem, you're going to find your providence. 
Bethlehem should be a reminder to every one of us that God will always, always, always keep His promises. I've been walking with the Lord since 1964. I have seen the ups and the downs and the dark and the light. I've seen it all on three different continents. But I've never seen the hand of God let go of me. And this is the testimony of thousands of you, not just mine. Because He will do the insurmountable. He will remove all obstacles. He will move mountains. He will cause Caesar to issue a decree at the right time. Hear me right. Every time you go through doubt, remember Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is a place of potential. Bethlehem is a place of providence. But thirdly, Bethlehem is a place of privilege. It's a place of privilege. Think with me. Think with me. What a truly awesome privilege <laughs> that God will handpick that little town of all the other towns, hundreds of them, to cradle the Son of God. What a privilege. What a privileged town. Of all the cities, of all the towns, big and small, He chooses Bethlehem. Why? Oh, why Bethlehem? Why not Jerusalem? That's the place where the religious power resides. Listen to me. God is sending us a message, every one of us. And the message is this, because it continues to this day, 2,000 years later. The hope of the world is not in religion. Did you get that? The hope of the world is not in religion. The only hope for the world is Jesus. Why not Rome? Rome is the political power of the whole known world at the time. Ah, but God wants you and everybody to know that the hope of the world is not in politics. The hope of the world is in Jesus. But why not Athens? Athens was the seat of the intellectual power. Ah, the hope of the world is not in philosophy. That just confuses you. I don't know about you. When I did a doctorate in philosophy, I got more confused than when I got in. (laughs) The hope of the world is not in philosophy. It's in Jesus. And God privileged that little town of Bethlehem because the hope of the world can only be found in the Savior of the world, the Savior of your soul and my soul. And that is why Bethlehem, which was nothing, was nothing, became the place of privilege. It became the place of privilege. And my beloved friend, listen to me. I don't know where you've placed your trust. I don't know where you place your confidence, whether it be in religion, whether it be in money, whether it be in another person, or whether it be in yourself and your ability. I can do this. Ah, I want to tell you today on the authority of the very Word of God that Jesus is the only one who is truly worthy of your trust. Jesus is the only one who can truly save you eternally. Jesus is the only one who can change your eternal destiny from hell to heaven. Jesus is the only one who can truly give you hope in the midst of hope 
guiltlessness. Jesus is the only one who can remove all guilt and shame from your life. Jesus is the only one who can remove every doubt in your life and give you purpose for living. The Lord Jesus came from heaven on a mission and started in Bethlehem, lived for 33 and one-third of a year, and that mission took Him to the cross out of the city walls of Jerusalem. But before the cross, there was a cradle, and the cradle was divinely placed in Bethlehem. Let me get real with you as I'm coming toward the end. Divine moments come and go to all of us. You must recognize divine moments when they come into your life, because they may never be repeated again. The innkeeper missed it. The people of Bethlehem missed it. Had the innkeeper knew who that baby was, he would have probably made room for him in his room. Had he recognized that moment of divine visitation, had he realized that this moment will never be recaptured, he would have acted differently. This very message that I am delivering to you, to your mailbox, to your ears right now, could be a divine visitation. God says, I've been talking to you. I've been trying to get your attention. Now, I'm giving you probably one last warning. I don't know. Could be a divine opportunity. This message that I'm giving you today could be your last chance. I don't know. Your last chance to hear and respond to the message of God's love in Jesus Christ. You can have that same privilege and have Christ be born in you. In fact, your greatest privilege is to have the Son of God born inside of you. I met people all over the world. They persecute, they tortured. They live in secret in case their family found out. And yet, every time I talk to one of those people, every time, they speak of the privilege of suffering for Jesus. They say, He died on the cross and shed His blood for me. His sinless body hung on that cross. What little persecution in this life. My goodness, I can tell you, I feel but that small. I really do. In 1865, an Anglican rector of the Church of Holy Trinity in Philadelphia decided to go to Bethlehem for himself. It took Phillips Brooks weeks, in fact months, to travel by boat, and back of a donkey, back those days there was no planes, no. And when he got there and he looked at that little town, he was overwhelmed. He actually was underwhelmed. <laughs> and so he sat down and wrote those familiar words, O little town of Bethlehem, and says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. In you tonight, all of your hopes, all of your fears can come and surrender to the living Jesus Christ, the resurrected, ascended, soon-to-come-back judge, Jesus. Hopes and fears of the years can meet in you tonight. You can become a Bethlehem tonight. And when you do, you become a place of potential, a place of providence. 
and a place of privilege. Thank you.